So Revelation chapter 3, again, verses 1 through 6. The word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you were dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you, will, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <clears throat> so again, these letters, each seven letters to these seven churches, the beginning of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and uh, each one follows a similar format, as we've talked about in the past. And with this one, we see in the beginning, uh, I mean, it's to the angel, to the messenger of the church, to the leaders in this church, um, the words... Um, it, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now this comes from a description of Jesus Christ from chapter 1, but this particular one is given to this particular church for a particular reason. Each of the churches are given an aspect of a description of Jesus Christ at the onset of the letter. And one of the things I think it's good to do is to think of these letters as if <clears throat> it's written to our church. It's a it was like a cyclical letter. Every church got the book of Revelation. But at the beginning of it were these little letters to each church. And so you'd read, you know, you finally you're getting to Sardis. And so like, okay, if this was written to the church in, there we go, the church in Albemarle. Or the church in, maybe is better to think of it, the church in America. The church in the United States. But you can particularize it down to the individual person as Jesus does in each of his letters. So he starts by saying, so you know, it gets to your church and you're listening to it, and he says, you know, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. We've already looked at this, and um, again, this is apocalyptic literature, which means the, an unveiling, a revelation, so it's not something too obscure, but something through symbolism, it, it reveals something. We have to have a key to how to understand it, and the Old Testament is our key. We can also find different things in the New Testament, different writings to know how these things are considered. Um, anytime in the Bible we have a... a um, a theory of interpretation, a method of interpreting the Bible, which says um, the Bible is its best interpreter. You interpret things that are difficult to understand or unclear in the Bible in light of the things that are clear elsewhere in Scripture. So that the Bible interprets itself, and it's called the analogy of faith um, in theology. So we have the seven spirits of God, and we've seen the number seven represents a fullness, a completion. Um, seven days, six days of creation on the seventh day of rest. Um, the number ten has been a, a day of uh, a number of fullness, but it has to do sometimes with judgment. And so the number seven is a full completeness. The seven spirits of God represents the fullness and the wholeness of the Holy, the fullness of the Holy Spirit that goes forth to each of the seven stars, which in Revelation 1:16 we're told specifically the seven stars are the seven churches. 
And so the churches, and there's not just seven churches, representative of, of the entire church, but again, written to seven actual specific churches that were in Asia Minor in the areas now called Turkey. And so what's the significance of the seven spirits of God to the seven churches? And it's because primarily this is good news and it can also be bad news depending on which way they go, but this is the only hope for the church, that Jesus Christ, who is the, the ultimate writer of this through John the Baptist, <clears throat> excuse me, through um, John the Revelator, probably um, John the Apostle, that the Spirit gives life. And so the Spirit gives life to the churches, which since we've already read it, and I'm not giving it away, church in Sardis did not get a good diagnosis. Um, there's a couple churches that only get good things said, and there's a couple that only have bad things said, and you can guess which one this is. Uh, but you're dead. I mean, how would you go to a doctor and you get that diagnosis? It's like, I don't know that anyone's ever heard that diagnosis before, unless it was a mistaken diagnosis. You know, by the way, sir, you're dead. But then he keeps talking to them. It's like, have, your doctor can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can. So there is death in this church in Sardis, but... He shows us there's actually a little remnant there. There's something that's still alive in there. Just, and the analogy that keeps coming in my mind, uh, there was a, a field next to the church in Manning where I went for a long time. And uh, it had, uh, I guess it was a, a, a pecan tree or a pecan tree as we call it. And it was just dead. And so there's a bunch of kudzu out in the field and they, they dissed it and burned it and do whatever it is to it. But when they burned the field, it burned the tree and it somehow it caused the tree to come back to life. So apparently that tree wasn't really dead. It just appeared to be dead. It needed, I, haven't, I don't know much about arbortum. What do you call the study of trees? <laughs> you know, but I know one thing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest you go home and burn your tree to bring it back to life, but it worked in this particular case. And this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church in Sardis. When I speak life, I can bring life to things that are dead. Your church is dead. So we have to, you know, think about this. And here's the problem, and I named the, I forgot I had named it Bamboozled. I have lots of working titles, and depending on what the title is when it's time to go to, go to press, um, that's what it was. I just like that word bamboozled. Um, it, 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 if you don't know what bamboozled means, it just means that you've just been, you've been fooled, you've been tricked, you've been hoodwinked, you've been, you know, these words. And so this church in Sardis has actually been bamboozled. Or maybe they've bamboozled everybody else because they have a reputation. And in the original language, it actually says they have a name. You have a name that you are alive. So your name, you know, you, this is, it means a reputation. And we want a good reputation. You love for your church, it's good for your church to have a good name. But the problem with this is the reputation of the church and the name of that church does not represent the actuality of it. He says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. So the church is dead, but it has a reputation for life. So what would give a church a reputation for being alive? And we have to remember when God was choosing um, David, little David over big King Saul, uh, it did not look like the right decision in the eyes of man. Saul looked like a king. David was the youngest child 
with the sheep. And then in 1 Samuel 16.1, God chooses David over King Saul, and he says this, Man looks on the outward appearances, but God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearances, but God looks on the heart. So God sees the churches. But he's not looking at outward appearances. He's looking at the heart. He's looking for the spirit. So what does man see and so consider that a church is alive? And it may be a little different in our day than it was back in the days this was written. But it's the same idea. You can have a church that has a reputation for being alive and it can be dead. Now there have been people who have gone into churches and they'll come out and they'll go, I don't know, that church is dead. You know, people will pronounce judgment on a church worship service based on how they felt in the worship service. You know, you go into a church and everybody just seems down. Uh, the music is kind of, the Nobody seemed upbeat. Um, and people visit and they might say, I don't know, that church seemed dead. Well, you don't know. You don't know what's going on. You might not realize, I had a lot of trouble going to sleep last night. I think I drank too much tea or something. My throat is bothering me a little bit. I don't feel real good right now. But as I get going, <coughs> I'll be fine. And you have to say, is that an indication that a church is alive or dead based on the emotional in energy that you feel from a worship service or not? So if you go to a church that really makes you feel good, that church is alive because it makes me feel alive. If I go to a church that makes me feel not so great or something, that church must be dead. So we can tend also to judge a church based on how does it make me feel when I go there. And that can be a terrible way to feel. Uh, it can be a terrible way to judge a church. We don't want you to leave feeling bad. We, we, we'd love for you to feel energized and, and just charged up and ready to go out into the world. But if that's what we try to produce every week, then that's going to take a lot of, um, I don't know, it's going to take a, a lot of cheerleading that might not necessarily always look at the truth and the actuality of life around us. And so we have to be careful about this. But well, other things, I made a little list, things that man might see that would cause a church to consider to have a reputation for being alive. Maybe it has a lot of money. Uh, maybe it's real busy. They have exciting worship, a crowd of excited people, a lot of missions in the community. The Bibles are open, interesting life-affirming messages, fast music, maybe even tongues and prophecies. I mean, different types of things that might make that church to seem like it's alive. Now, these things don't mean the church is dead. It just doesn't mean that it's alive. And so we have to be very careful with that because the church in Sardis had been bamboozled. They had bamboozled themselves. They thought they were alive. And Jesus is coming in with a letter. I mean, it's like, okay, here's a letter to the church in America. Oh, boy, I can't wait till we read our letter. Our letter is just going to be like, and you guys have been doing great. Or maybe it's, you know, particularly the Second Street, however you want to look at it. But I think we kind of need to think of ourselves in America and how are we in our particular area, in our particular country, in our culture, how are we doing in worshiping the Lord as a church, and how are we doing in reaching the culture, how are we doing in reaching sinners with Jesus Christ, how are we doing, and you know, how would you like to have the letter, you have a, you have a name for greatness, 
I mean, a church in America, anywhere you go in the United States, um, it, it depends on where you go as to the reputation. You can be considered the synagogue of Satan, um, or you may be considered the, the greatest, the only hope for the world. Um, Fourth of July is coming up. A lot of churches, we're going to be pretty much worshiping the United States. Got to be careful of that. Because our goal in the United States as the church is to reach the United States with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do. Reach the gospel, reach the country, reach the world as much as is possible. But in our individual spheres, we need to be reaching people with the gospel. It doesn't matter what we think of ourselves or what the community thinks of us. And we can do a lot of things to get a good buzz about our church. We can do a lot of things to, to, we can see a lot of things in the church in America to think really well of ourselves, but God says only the Spirit gives life. If you have not the Spirit of God, there is no life. Jesus says in um, John chapter 6, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The works I have spoken to you are spirit the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So it's the word of God it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ being proclaimed, believed, lived, followed. Lives are changed. People are ministering to one another. People are, are seeing the work of the spirit in their lives. They're beginning to look more and more like Christ, loving one another, not just with emotional pats on the back, but with love based on the truth of the gospel, extending mercy and grace and, and hoping for mercy and grace to and from one another. Um, Jesus said that sinners can be real good at cleaning the outside of the cup. We can be real good at cleaning the outside of the cup. And he said to the Pharisees who were doing that in his day, but inside they are filled with greed and self-indulgence. So I don't know, you know if you, you get a cup... And they all look clean, but then you look on the inside and it's filthy. That's the thing. I mean, I'd rather have a, a completely clean cup. But what a lot of people are doing, they're just making the outside look good. And we can be so concerned about what outsiders think of us that that's what we focus on. How does my car look? Is it clean? You know, you better ask yourself, well, what, does it have gas in it? <laughs> is it running? Is it in good shape? Are you keeping it tuned up? You know, what's going on here? Uh, so the same thing with the church or your life or your family. You can be so concerned about what the world thinks or even other Christians, what they think about how you look, that that's what you focus on and you end up losing some things that God is telling us. And we can be deceiving ourselves even and not realizing that there's a dangerous condition that's happening, that we do not need to be deceived into believing that we are alive. You know, you go to the doctor, doctor, I feel great. Well, <laughs> you can believe that all you want to, but you know, you've, you have this, you know, we've seen a spot. You know, how far advanced is it? And Jesus, to this church in Sardis, and we're supposed to say, how do we apply this to ourselves today? How far gone are we? You know, if this is a diagnosis on the church, where are we and what do we do? In verse 2, I'm sorry, let's continue. Verse 1, he says, I know your works. You have the reputation, the name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. So, you know, if you're dead, you can't wake up. But Jesus can call you to be dead. And also, this is a, a metaphorical thing, but it's, it's a death. And he's saying you need to wake up. Literally, it's be watchful. 
but it means wake up. They, the same way in Greek it is in English. It can mean the same thing. You wake up. Get it together. Figure out what's going on. And strengthen what remains. So there's your hope. There's still hope. He's telling you you're dead, but he says, wake up. And then strengthen what remains. There's something that's remaining, and we need to strengthen that. So strengthen that remnant. Wake up. So we say, what about us? And he has to be speaking to that remnant in this church because the dead people aren't listening to this. The remnant's hearing it, and the remnants are the one that needs to wake up. The remnant's the one that needs to strengthen what remains, and then those that are dead can hear the gospel, and maybe they'll become to life. More people will come to life through the preaching of the gospel. We believe in simple church. It's the preaching of the word of God, it's prayer, and it's the proper administration of the sacraments. Lord's Supper, baptism. That's how God typically works in the world to change the world, to convert sinners um, to himself. It's through the work of the church and the people going out, carrying that word with them, carrying the gospel with them to sinners who need help. Our job is not to convert the culture, it's to save sinners. As we save sinners, who knows what ripples the Lord will use to, to make change in this world. But you have to be willing to be a light. The darker it gets, the brighter you shine, the more you'll attract problems to yourself in the world. And this church in Sardis, apparently things were going pretty good. They didn't have persecution. And so why else would they think? Things are going great for us, but they aren't doing anything. He's saying you better wake up. The hour grows late. And, you know, as we see wake up, you have to hear the world. This word woke is all over the place. You know, you had to be woke. And, and what the world means by that is you need to wake up. See what's going on around you, world. Now, this is sinner, sinful, pagan, non-believing, demonically inspired, lost people who are headed straight to hell. They're trying to do what they feel right in their hearts. A lot of people I like and love in that group. I don't mean to pronounce them too devastatingly. We're not a whole lot better a lot of times, but we're hidden in Christ. And we're given the words of hope and life and light. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. The world has to have a spiritual awakening. But more importantly, what God is saying in Revelation is church needs a spiritual reawakening. We're very good about preaching the problems of the world. And what Revelation does is say, look inside your heart, look inside your church, and you need to wake up. The world's idea of, of wokeness is, is an earthly salvation. The world's idea of wokeness, and we talked about it last time some, the way they're going to deal with uh, racism is to be more racist. The way they're going to deal with economic disparity is to separate people into even more groups. The way they're going to deal with sin is going to be sinful. There's no other way that they can do it. Things may seem right. There may be some things by common grace of, of God that uh, they get right. But it's always going to be led by the world, the flesh, and Satan. And the church cannot be like that. The church has to be able to speak truth and light and the word of God to the culture, to ourselves, to our individuals, to the church, and to the culture. So I think what we need to do as individual believers are start making sure that we are strengthening what remains. So how are we supposed to do that? How do you strengthen what 
what remains. And, and he tells us how to do this in verse 3. He says, Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. So remember what you have heard. Keep it and repent. Keep it. That's that from the ironic benediction we have pronounced. Uh, May the Lord bless and keep you. Um, It's to guard you, to protect you, to cling closely to you, hold fast. So he's saying what you have heard and what you have received, you need to hold on to it. Cling tightly to it. Remember it. Bring it back to mind. Uh, This do in remembrance of me when we take the Lord's Supper is a covenantal remembrance, but it is the idea that don't get off track of what the message is. Don't let the culture take you off message. Don't let the problems in his life take you off message. Preach the word in season and out of season and hold fast to it. Guard what you have been taught. Remember what you have received and heard and hold on tightly to it and repent. So repent, metanoia in Greek. What's it mean? It's like a change of mind. It kind of means <clears throat> in the, the Hebrew idea was the word shuv. It means uh, to turn around. You know, you're headed in one direction, you need to turn around. And not just in your actions, but in your thought, your whole attitude. Turn your mind around. So what did they receive? What did we receive in here? What, what is he talking about? And it's obvious that he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to remember it. So we need to ask ourselves, all right, we want to strengthen the remnant. The first thing to do is to remember and hold fast to what you received. So... Where did you first hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? You as an individual person in this room, where did you first hear it and where did you receive it? And you may be a person who's able to say, well, there's really never been a time in my life when I didn't know Jesus Christ. I was raised in the church by Christians. But even a person like that needs to be able to say as they grow older, as they um, progress in the faith. Um, there have been times when the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, has just made himself real to me. I've been on my knees. I've been on my face. I've been confronted with sin. I've been confronted with pain and death and suffering. I've had great times of exuberation. I've, had, I've seen the church rally around. I've seen God do amazing things. Um, I've heard him speak through the word. I've had tears of joy. I have tears of repentance. And I continue to grow in the faith as I cling and am thrown more deeply in him. And is that your experience? If it's not your experience, I invite you into the experience of God through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit, through repentance and faith, trusting in the things that God actually says, believing these things, praying the Bible, reading the Bible, actually listening in church, trying to say, God, where are you? Who are you? Show yourself to me. Make me who you want me to be and don't let him go till he does. Hold fast. Preach the gospel to yourself all the time. Have you ever been gripped by the gospel? That's a question. Not a one-time salvation thing. That's emotional, possibly. You can, you can be in a church like ours where, you know, you're, you're baptized as an infant, maybe. Um, you're, you're in the covenant. Maybe you went to a church where you, it was like that, and you still you went forward in an altar call. Or at some point in your life, you said, I need to profess my faith. You profess your faith. You baptize. You take the Lord's Supper. You read the Bible. But have you experienced God? Have you actually been born again? Do you actually know that God exists because there's no way he doesn't exist? 
when it comes down to it, you can debate it and argue it all you want to, but when it comes down to it, I know because I just know. How do you know you're really sitting here and you're not dreaming? Because this is my dream. Y'all be attacking me or something. I don't know. I don't want to let you into my psychology too much. But you know, this is real. God's real. How do you know he's real? The way I know anything's real. And it's been said, the only way I know anything else is real is because of God and what God has shown me and hopefully has shown you. But you have to look into your heart and ask yourself, do I know Christ? Do I really know him? Not everybody else. That's the devil. He'll do that. Say, look at that guy. Look at that guy. They don't. I'll judge this. I'll judge that. No, you. You will stand before a holy God naked and ashamed or clothed in his righteousness. Which is it going to be? If you're standing naked, completely a holy God judging you unabashedly just every excuse you can possibly have for anything you've ever done wrong and he's able just to see through it even better than you are then you know there's only hell for you and it'll be a deserved thing and it may simply be God allowing you to feel about your sin the way you ought to for all eternity and that will be hell and what Jesus says is you don't have to do that I did that for you on the cross believe in me Trust in me. Remember the gospel. We have to acknowledge our sinfulness in light of God's holiness. Let that really sink in and then understand the wonder of Jesus dying for you. And have you ever been moved to tears by it? Have you ever been driven to your knees? By it. And I'm not talking about emotionalism because people can get mighty emotional about a lot of things. I've seen, you know, we, I think sometimes we cry at the death of pets more than we cry at the loss of sinners. And nothing wrong about crying over pets. I've done it too. But where's our heart? What do we understand? Do we actually believe these things to be true? And if we do, hold fast, repent, and fan into flames the gift that's been given to us. And I do believe it's a call to us. I believe it's a call to the church in the United States to wake up, strengthen what remains. This country's not over yet. Um, If the church abandons its call, if Jesus removes the candlestick from this church, I don't even want to know what this could be. Um, One of the biggest problems we can have is people refusing to admit where we are. Um, to think things are we're a whole lot better place than we think we are. Um, it can be equally bad to think you're a whole lot worse off than you are. But in the eyes of God and the gospel, I don't know how that's really that possible. We need to make sure, as much as it depends on us, we strengthen what remains. That we ourselves are clinging to the gospel. That we would indeed wake up. And that's the role of elders. It's the role of parents, it's the role of children, every believer to do this. So keep your place right here and just look at Ephesians chapter 5. So it's just a few pages back, it's after the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Then you get your GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians chapter 5. 
this beginning of verse 1, is Paul writing similar people, saying similar thing. This is what we need to be doing. This is, this is the call. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. <clears throat> but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christ. He just tells us how to believe as, as people who wake up, act like this, be like this, be a light, be people who help and encourage one another. And then back in Revelation, in the second half of, of verse 3, he says, keep and repent. And he says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Now, this is um, not the final judgment he's talking about. This is somehow Jesus coming to judge a particular church. Um, and so, again, not just Sardis. This is any church in any area, and perhaps the church in the United States, if God looks at it in such a geographic terms, um, why would he not come and judge? Why would he not? That's the question. And we all be able to ask that same question. Why would he not? And the only reason he would not is out of his grace and his mercy and because we believe in him and we're actually preaching the gospel and we're actually participating in the Lord's Supper and we're baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and we're making disciples. We are doing what he's called us to do. And we have only done that because the Spirit's at work within us. So, and we hear his voice even today calling to us, wake up. Strengthen what remains. Do it. You can do it. He wouldn't tell you to do it if you can't do it. He gives you spirit. He's the one with the seven spirits, the seven churches. You've got the Holy Spirit. What are you waiting on? Just wake up. I had a lot of trouble waking up when I was little. See, I didn't sleep well last night, so I, it's interesting. <laughs> I woke up this morning, though, but when I was, I know Rick told another pastor, don't talk about yourself so much. Well, I'm not going to talk about that pastor. I'm going to talk about me. So uh, when I was younger, 
I hated getting up so much that I would go, and this is like third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, maybe later, I don't know. I got to bed with my clothes on. So I had to get dressed in the morning. <laughs> maybe even my shoes on. I had to mess with that. Wake up, go. I'm out. I'm out the door. You know, it's like, and then there's a proverb that says, as, oh, what's the word? As, as the, as, how, as something rolls over, so does the, the slothful person in his bed. It's like you're just rolling over in your bed. It's like you got to get up. You know, it's, it, but when you're sleeping, and you're sleeping good, and you stayed up too late, that's probably why I had all that trouble, and the alarm goes off, what do we hit? Hopefully not your mama coming in trying to wake you up, but you hit snooze because it's just a little longer. Now's not the time. I'm going to hit snooze. Wake up, church. There's time yet. I can still make it. I can put my clothes on the night before and sleep even longer. You know, what are we doing? He says, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. I'm going to come I will judge your church. So Satan wasn't attacking that church. The culture wasn't attacking this church because they were doing just fine as far as Satan and the world are concerned. Jesus says, you got to worry about me coming against you. And the interesting thing about Sardis was they were on top of a hill. They had stiff, um, steep cliffs. They had a fortress sort of built around it. It was only one way in, this narrow way in and out, and it was heavily fortified, and nobody could get in. They were safe. The people that lived in Sardis were, were arrogant, and they absolutely believed that they were untouchable. But then twice in the 5th century, 6th century B.C., and the 3rd century B.C., they were twice ransacked because the enemy found a hole in the wall. They found an opening and they got in at night and they climbed the, the walls and they got in and they took over the city because the city was asleep because they had no idea they could be taken over. And this is the message he's given to that. So if you lived in that city, you're like, oh yeah, we, we know all about that. And he's like, yeah, and I'll come at night just like they did because the people of your city thought they were untouchable. What about the America? Are we untouchable? Can things not happen here like happened in other parts of the world at other times of history? Are we impenetrable? Can it not happen here? And I have to say, if you think it cannot, you're a fool. If you think it will not, you're extremely optimistic. If the church dies, we will see things happen in this country that we have never seen before in the history of the world. The good news is the Holy Spirit holds the churches. There's, there is at least a remnant in the United States. There's a lot of churches that have reputations, a name for being alive, and they are dead. Don't look at the outward appearance. Listen to the message. Are they preaching the gospel? Are they serving the Lord's Supper to God's people? Are they baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Are they calling their neighbors to repentance and faith? We also need to help our neighbor. We need to serve one another. We need to work in the community. We need to do all these things, else we can be seen as hypocritical. But if that's all we're doing, you're not a church, you're, you're a community organization. The work of the church 
is the work of the gospel. In verse 4, you still have a few names in Sardis. Names. I know your name for being alive, but you're dead. But there are a few names. Some people I know. He talked earlier about the white stone with the name on it, the only you, and he knows. He knows your name. We sing that song, he knows my name. He knows your name. And he knows if you're alive, you're awake. He knows your condition. He knows you. And hopefully he can say to us that we have not soiled our garments. You have not and this is a lot of Old Testament stuff, the Zechariah with the, the high priest who shows up in the heavenly courts in filthy stained clothes, and Satan is like, you can't, no way he's getting into your presence. The high priest can't get into your presence. And, and then God clothes him with, with clean white robes, and this is what he gives us, the clean white robes. He, he, he talks about here too. We've not soiled our garments by, by walking through this culture in a way where we are just getting down in the muck and the mud with everybody. Now, we go to places and we do things and we might we'll talk with sinners and we do these things, but you can do it in the way Jesus did and Jesus did not soil his garments in the presence of sinners. But he was in the presence of sinners, but he did not soil his garments in their presence. We have to be careful that we too don't do this and he says metaphorically you haven't and they walk with me in white so you're with Jesus you're trying to follow him you're a believer you're walking with Jesus in white that's what's happening uh, it's really interesting you go to Haiti uh, you're, you, you know, first go there's all this you know there's demon worship and all this stuff you kind of worry it's like I don't know if I'm going to mess with no demon stuff and then you see people have been there a while that have been involved in it they're like we're shiny white people I mean, a lot of them are black, a lot of them are white, but we're shiny, we're, we're white, we're clothed in white. It's like the demons see this and they are afraid of it. Do you not understand? All Satan has is the power of darkness and lies and deceit. What we have is light and truth. Man may kill you, but fear him who can kill both body and destroy soul in hell. But you walk with Jesus in white because they're worthy. What makes us worthy? Jesus Christ himself, and that's it. So to the one who conquers, to the victor, you'll be clothed like that in white garments. That means holiness. You'll be given his holiness. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Now, this doesn't mean that there's some that are in the book of life and their names are going to be blotted out because we see elsewhere that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. But he's promising you he will hold you close. He, you have your name as a believer written in the book of life, and he will never blot that out. He will hold us. He will protect us. And the rest of the Bible makes this clear that nobody can snatch you from his hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And this is the good news. This is the message to the world. There is a hell. There is a judgment for things. Things will be set right and that is good. But you need to be covered in Jesus Christ so that you aren't set right in judgment but you're set right in the judgment of Christ on your behalf. And we have to ask if we believe these things. And then he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. 
And there's two places where he talks about this. And you can look at Matthew 10, 32, 33. He says, well, let's do it real quick. Matthew 10. Matthew 10, 32, 33. So everyone who acknowledges me, this is Jesus speaking, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. We cannot deny Christ. I will acknowledge him before my Father. And then Luke 12, 8. Luke 12, 8. I'm in Mark, Luke 12, 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. In Matthew, I will confess your name before God the Father. And Luke, I will confess your name before his angels. And here in Revelation, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You will be confessed. Your name will be confessed. We hold the name of Christ and he will hold our names before God the Father and his holy angels. He knows us. He protects us. He leads us. He calls us to wake up and he calls us to remember and to repent and to revive those things that are lost. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. That whatever our diagnosis is, we know that it is serious and it is critical. But we also know that there is still a remnant. That there are those who still walk with you. We pray that that would be said of us, that you would help us to walk more closely with you, that we would not have our garments soiled, that we would be found worthy because of our faith. So we do pray that we'd wake up and that we would help to strengthen what remains and that you would find our works complete in the sight of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.